Welcome back to the What The Folk Sunland Preview Show. If last week's game had some historic needle to it, then this week's game definitely does, but a little bit more recent. Um, Stoke are our visitors to the Stadium of Light this week, as we look for our first win, sadly, in three games. However, the return of a little-known man by the name of Alex Neal is almost certain to grab the headlines either way. Um, it is going to be a game of intrigue, and to help me preview the game this week is head of publishing at the excellent Planet Sport. And most importantly, Stoke City season ticket holder Mark Holmes. Mark, I feel like I've known you for years, but never actually spoke. How are you doing? Are you all right? <laughs> I'm all right, mate. Good to speak at long last. It is, isn't it? I feel like it's been about 10 years in the making. I think I actually might be right on my timescale with that. But yes, it is It is good, mate. And um, look, we'll, we'll shoot straight from the hip from a Sunderland perspective. This game feels massive for like a number of reasons. I think we haven't won in three. Like I say, we pretty much are wanting to show Alex Neal exactly what we think of him and what he's missed. But how are Stoke fans viewing it? Because obviously you're on the opposite side of the table. How are you viewing it? Uh, well, I'm viewing this particular game with absolute, absolute dread because I can just imagine how much you all want to win this game and how much you're going to rub it in if and probably when you do. Um, as for Alex Neal, generally, how are we viewing it? On the fence at best, but a lot of fans not impressed so far. So you can take some uh, some enjoyment out of that, I'm sure. Yeah, I'll try my best. Um <laughs> I think we'll start with the most recent result before we do dig into that Alex Neal stuff. I've got to, you know, get you listening for at least 10 minutes to the listeners and then we'll get into the Alex Neal stuff, I promise. But um, start with the most recent result, a 1-0 home defeat in Millwall. Look, on paper, yep. good side, but talking about former managers, Gary Rowett, I've seen he dropped a couple of things in there as well with him being thinking that he was, should we say, fairly unfairly sacked. But but how was the performance? Because obviously a 1-0 defeat at home is never nice. It was pretty typical of our season, to be honest. We'd won in midweek away at Swansea, um, you know, without the ball, really, playing on the counter and, and letting them off the ball. Obviously, it was going to be the exact opposite against Millwall. The worst possible thing happened to us in that they scored early, mm. which is another theme of Stoke's season. And pretty much everyone in the season just went, well, that's that there. Everyone in the stadium knew from that moment what was going to happen, how the game was going to play out. And it did. You know, they sat and you've got, you know, Cooper at the back is an absolute giant. We had Dwight Gale up there trying to win headers against him. It was insane, really, the way that we were trying to feed the forwards against that kind of team. But, yeah, credit to Millwall. They do what they do very, very well. They've stopped better teams than Stoke playing this season. Um, I think we had the most possession we've had in any game this season. But we didn't lay a glove on them, to be honest. You know, we got up the pitch, but when it comes to that final bit of quality into the box or actually creating a chance, um, we were we were we were felt you know left lacking really, and that's been pretty much stoked to a you know to a two. I think when you look at the result as well, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I think because of the nature of Twitter and the, because of the thing we spoke about right at the beginning, some Sunderland fans do keep an eye on Stoke, and it does seem like there's a few 
defeats that pop up, but actually it was, I think he'd won two out of three prior to the previous game. And obviously you'd, you'd beat Swansea in midweek, you know, Swansea a good side. Uh, we've been beat by them twice this season, obviously one to a, with 10 men and, and the other time were no strikers, but they are a good side. So how frustrating is that, that you had like a midweek win against Swansea, a good side away from home. You'd won, I think the game, not before, but before that, like two and three. And then you followed up with like, I know Millwall are a good team. I know they're in a, a good position on the table, but how frustrating is it that you seem to be kind of kicking on and then you've been pulled right back, two steps forward, one step back sort of thing? I mean, I hear that phrase a lot, but I don't think it's it's fair actually, because I think actually we are perfectly consistent and that you can pretty much look at the type of team we're going to be up against and predict how it's going to go. Um, as I said, Swansea is a team, you know, they're in poor form as well. Millwall are playing well at the moment, but we're set up, Stoke is set up to play against that sort of team. I think the, might be quite wrong on this, but I think from 14 games when Stoke have had more of the ball, we've taken one point from, from those games. It, it might be 11 games. Um, whereas when we play on the, account, on the counter, you know, we're very good. They have got some good players, Stoke, but they just haven't got those creative players to really unpick um, you know, a packed defence and haven't got, and I think this potentially is something you're going to say, haven't got a target man in the team to sort of mix it up um, and play against a Jake Cooper. So, yes, it is frustrating. We'd had it the week before, we beat Huddersfield and then went to Blackpool away and thought, great, right, we'll put it all together here. And we lost at Blackpool and it was the same situation. Early goal conceded, spent the whole game on top, pressuring, but, you know, never really looked like we were going to break down the door. So, Yes, in a, in, a, in, a, in a respect, it's inconsistent in the sense that it's win one, lose one, so on and so forth. But actually, I think we all we all kind of predicted that result on Saturday. We kind of know what Stoke are. I think looking at, obviously, the most recent form, I always try to pick out trends. Um, and it's, it's quite hard with Stoke because you feel the score in four of your last six, I think. But when you have scored, you've scored like three or four, a minimum of three in the league games. That's actually a really confusing start and I can't take much from it. So <laughs> I've wrote here as the question, are Stoke rubbish or good going forward? <laughs> um, we are good when a team opens up. So if we score first, obviously the team that we're playing against has got to open up and, and, and try and play and come at us. If the opposition scores first, they pretty much know they can sit back, get men behind the ball, stay in shape, and Stoke won't score. So you'll know whether we're going to be good, depending on who scores the first goal. If you score the first goal, you can probably just get the pints in and, and start celebrating. If we score the first goal, you might think, OK, this will be a tough game today. It's interesting with, with Alex Neal, because obviously we'll come on to him, of course. Um, I'm going to go to something recent, and we're going to go a little bit further back with him. But I think first and foremost, there'll be a lot of people listening to you sort of discussing the tactic side of Stoke, how you can't seem to figure out X, Y, and Z when you're playing sort of teams X, Y, and Z. And I think the one thing that Alex Neal seemed to have with us, it wasn't always the most prettiest football, but it was, it worked. Like he was, he was tactically quite astute. He made substitutions at the right time. He played the right players against the right teams. I remember specifically in the, the playoff, finally brought in Embleton to play off the left as opposed to Jack Clark. And now that seems weird looking back because Jack Clark's one of the first names on the team sheet. Um, Whereas realistically, he he was very good tactically. And yet I've read a lot on, you know, you do read things because of the situation about Alex Neal and Stoke, where it seems that his tactics are completely devoid and he just gets it wrong. Is there any blame on Alex Neal from your perspective in regards to the fact that you can't seem to set up correctly against some teams and, and that nullifies your whole game plan? Yes and no. You know, he's the manager. He's got to take responsibility for, for, for trying to get you know, the right strategy in place to beat a team like Millwall. 
Um, you go a goal down and, and it's then on him to to come up with the strategy to break down that team. But also I think he's massively hindered in in the in the makeup of the squad, which which really isn't his fault. So we've noticed the same thing about him in terms of how he focuses on what the opposition can do. Um and in his defense, it's not just how we're gonna stop them. He talks a lot about where can we create overloads on the pitch to hurt them as well. So, you know, he reminds me a little bit of an opposition coach that they have in some of the Premier League teams when, you know, he really sets up his his team for that particular challenge. Um, and as, obviously, as we've referenced, there's a lot of challenges when Stoke have just come up short and that's on him. But I've already touched on it once. Stoke don't have a target man. Um, and I think every team in the championship, probably in world football, would, would, would say that they need that option on occasion. Um, Stoke don't have that and it's a massive chink in their armour and also prior to the January transfer window there were lots of other chinks in the armour um, that he obviously can't be held accountable for and actually his, his business in January you know we can talk about the plays we didn't get um, and we definitely probably needed one or two more but the plays that he has brought in probably have solved a couple of issues for us so as I said before I'm on the fence with Alex Neal for now, um, I would have expected and hoped for more, but uh, I think a lot of the issues predate him and actually needs a bit of time to to get the squad together to be able to set up for those different challenges, which maybe we can't do at the moment. Absolutely. And like I said, there's going to be a lot of focus on Alex Neal. It just makes sense. Um, I think he is the headline of this weekend. Hopefully the headline will be Sunderland getting three points. That's the most important thing. But if we get it, it's going to be about Sunderland, be out and yada, yada. So we might as well concentrate on it. So I want to take you back to sort of August now. It's probably, I was like I say, the bit everyone's waiting for. But Alex Neal, if we start at the beginning, it was a massive shock to me and to us that he left to join Stoke. And that's no detriment to Stoke. It was, we're very much on the, at the time, the crest of a wave. We I think we'd won or unbeaten in the first four games. We'd just beaten Stoke. Stoke have their issues. Um, they certainly don't seem a team on the up. I think we'd obviously played the other week previously at the time and it didn't feel like the Stoke you'd used to, that kind of strong, sort of almost violent atmosphere that you used to get at Stoke's kind of, you could see people like, oh, for God's sake, we've been here forever. Like, I'm sick of it now. Um, so it was a big shock when he left. But to give a balance, there was a few different reasons behind it um, that people had mentioned. There was the fact that his family live in Preston, I think, so not too far away. Being away from your family is difficult, to be fair to him, I understand that. And, and to give even more balance... I think the way Sunderland work, we have a head of recruitment, which is Speakman. We sign younger players under 24. We don't sign experience. And there was murmurs that he wanted players that were nearer than 30, shall we say, and he wanted a bit more control. So to give balance, you can see a both sides of the argument. Sunderland fans obviously thought it was mental for obvious reasons. But how did how did Stoke fans take it? Like when you first got linked, I kind of instantly went, oh shit, hang on. He's a favourite for a reason. Something's wrong here. But I spoke to a few Stoke fans and they were kind of as surprised that he'd made the move. But what were your thoughts on it? Like, did it make sense to you or did it not make sense because of, you know, the whole makeup of how both teams were going at the time? I think taking the red and white for both of those blinkers off, you'd look at it from the outside. And as you quite rightly say, Sunderland run New York, Stoke have been in a plateau for, for, for quite a while now. And you look at it and say, OK, he's gone there for money. And maybe there is an element of that, but I think you've 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 outlined some reasons there why Stoke might have been attracted to him. And the particular one I think is the settle, um, you know, around recruitment and and the, the amount of control that a manager has at Stoke, perhaps in comparison to Sunderland. I think Alex Neal would, would have said then and probably would still say now that long term, over a period of time, he feels as though he will be better backed at Stoke 
to do the things that he wants to do to build the club. I think he saw it as a longer-term challenge, um, a longer-term opportunity, should I say, to build a club in his image and have success on the back of that. Whereas, you know, little things he said, I got the impression that he felt as though he'd probably be wrong on this, as though Sunderland's success may not last forever because he didn't necessarily agree with all the decisions that were being made. So I think that's a large part of it. You know, he wants that control. And ironically, as Stoke fans, we're all absolutely ready to throw that out of the window. We want a structure where the manager doesn't have that total control because we're sick of a manager getting two years, being sacked, and then another man coming in and is appointing his own director of football and head of recruitment and everything else and, you know, bringing in his own place. So it's not worked for us, but you know, a lot of managers come in at Stoke and say, you know, what a wonderful club to work for. They know they're going to get a lot of support from the owners. They're going to get a lot of patience from the owners. So it is an attractive job for, for a manager from, from that perspective. And I think he also said, and, and I would echo this, that every penny that Stoke can invest into the playing staff, they will do. Whereas again, I think he perhaps felt that wasn't necessarily the case at Sunderland. Yeah, there was definitely reasons behind it. And there'll be people listening tearing their hair out of my opinion. But I think people will know from the time Changed my opinion a little bit for certain things, which I'll, I'll come on to. But I think at the time I tried to be as balanced as I could and think the reasons that he'd went and thought, you know, is that reason to maybe ask questions of the club as it is. It's, it's kind of worked out for us and Mowbray is probably a better fit in, in hindsight. But hindsight's a wonderful thing and not always available to you when you, your manager leaves. But <laughs> one thing I was, one thing I always have, and I think I, I think are more players than managers, um, but when you get someone in the door, you look at what previous people have said and you pick up on certain things that they may have done. And I remember we signed Stefan Sessignon years ago and I remember being, I mean, it, it didn't come to fruition, but I was always really worried that he went on strike to come to us. I was like, oh, I don't like that. Like, it's great that he's coming, but he's gone on strike. Now, Alex Neal, obviously, um, I can't think of a better phrase than dropped us in the shit and decided to swan off the stoke to watch your game against Blackburn when we were playing yeah. at home to, to Norwich and left, obviously, Martin Cannon in charge. Now, I don't know if you're the same as me and you look at situations up, 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 at things like that, but when it happened to us, that's the one thing that's probably stuck with me more than anything and probably my reason for having a little bit of a dislike and distaste for why he's left because I see it as relatively unprofessional. From a Stoke perspective, how did you see it? And there's no obviously no right or wrong answer to this. I'm more curious as to what you thought about that. Well, he did leave you in the shit. And if he did the same to us, I'd feel exactly the same as all the Sunderland fans did. And so would every football fan up and down the country. I think that the objective way to look at it would be to say, if he does leave us in the shit for a better club or a perceived bigger club, it's because he's done a good job here. And I'd take somebody doing a good job here right now. So if he moves on in two years because he's done something good here, yes, I'll be fuming, but at least he's, he's done a good job. So right here and now, that would be my objective. Do a good job and I'll worry about when you leave when it comes to it. Yeah, I think that's a fair point, to be fair. He, he did do a good job here. Like, like we can't deny it. That's probably added into it on top of that as well. And I think it's funny because last time I did a preview show with a Stoke fan, it was ironically the week before this all happened and the whole situation came to, came to pass. And I remember sort of discussing in full Michael O'Neill and I would, your defeat to us, sorry, our 1-0 win, I think it was four games in the season, um, kind of ended his time there. Stoke appeared to be in a really similar, if not identical position to the one that was that he sort of left his in, in in many ways. How much better or worse or the same has Alex Neal made Stoke as a team and as a club? I think just recently, since January, there have been some improvements. Um, and as I say, I, I'm probably slightly more lenient to Neil because I thought O'Neill should have gone at the end of last season. I thought we'd run out of ideas. Um, and to give him 
the transfer window and then sack him, you know, four or five games in, it's just lunacy in my opinion, either you're back in his plays and his project or you're not and you have to make that decision beforehand and then, you know, and stick with it. And so Costa didn't do that. Um, but despite all of those issues, despite the fact that I thought we bought terribly in the summer, you know, failed to recruit the positions we needed to recruit in, left glaring gaps in, in positions that we all knew needed filling. Despite all of that, I still think most people, including Stoke fans, would look at the squad and say, okay, they can probably get more out of this team. Um, and given Neil's record for, you know, being able to set up teams to 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 win to win football matches, I think we all expected better. And the, the Sunderland game actually is a perfect example of why we were quite optimistic about him because that was a tight game with nothing in it whatsoever. He scored just before half-time and then he made a change at half-time to see out the game quite comfortably, as I recall it. So we thought, okay, an adaptable manager, a pragmatic manager would do what's best for the team on on that day. Um, and he's tried, and he has had his hands held behind his back, but it hasn't really come to fruition. And ultimately, we're not much, if any, better off than where we would have been if, if O'Neill had stayed. That's the long and short of it, sadly. Yeah, and, and it's funny, you know what? Like I always say, and I think almost every show now, Twitter is not a barometer of anything in real life, but nonetheless... <laughs> I'm going to ask a question based on Twitter. Um, when Stoke do lose, you see a fair few new out comments. Now, you also see a lot of awful stuff on, on Twitter. So like I say, it's not really a, a barometer. And I'm, I, I quite like the old kick, believe it or not. Um, quite an interesting place to go on. And there's sometimes a bit of unrest on that forum. Is Alex Neil under pressure? Or is that just a Twitter sort of kneel out thing that actually isn't that real? It's tough. So... Obviously, being in the industry that I work in, I, I was told that Neil was under serious pressure from the board, um, you know, before the turn of the year, and that results couldn't go on as they as they were doing without, you know, a decision being made. There, I don't think we're there now. I think everybody, most of all, Neil feels that the objective now is just to stay up, get to the end of the season, um, clear the decks, and you know, in terms of players that are. But are due to end the contracts and then and then try and build something. That's certainly my view. You know, I think recruitment has been and continues to be the major issue at Stoke. I hate the fact that we're relying now on Neil and Ricky Martin to sort it almost single-handedly. You know, there's no structure, structural change that we can feel, okay, finally we've got we've got recruitment sorted. We're just relying on new guys getting it right. So that's a worry. But as I say, he did recruit pretty well in January, I felt, um, on, on the whole. So my view is get to the end of the season, we're going to stay up now. I think that's clear. I, I actually think, as bizarre as it might sound, we might yet finish in our highest, highest position since we come down, which is uh, a smallest dwarf competition, but one we might win. Um, and then give him the transfer window and see if he can put together a squad, not a team, a squad that can adapt to the different challenges in the championship. And then... You know, this time next year, if we're still having similar conversations about not being able to adapt to going a goal behind to Millwall at home, you know, then we can ask serious questions. But right now, my view is that he needs a window. Yeah, yeah, no, that would make sense as well. And I think it's just the nature of the championship business sometimes. 
a manager's there. I think we spoke to Coventry fan last week and Mark Robbins has been there years, but it feels like every other manager has been there five minutes. So it's like, I feel that there's always pressure there, but I think that's a, a really fair and, and probably valid point as much as Sunderland fans and myself would love you to say, yeah, he's under loads of pressure. I hope he gets sacked soon. I hate him. He's the worst manager we ever had being realistic. I think you're probably right. Um, obviously, it's been a little while since we last played each other and as we've just spoke about for the last 20 minutes, things have changed so drastically. And obviously Ross Stewart, who is definitely our best player and now probably the standout player on that day is injured. But I know obviously you watch a lot of football as well. I know you have a, a Sunderland supporting friend that you work with very closely, but um, which Sunderland players have impressed you most when you've seen us and, and particularly in that game against Stoke when I know things were different, but nonetheless, when you saw them up close? I mean, the thing that impressed me about Sunderland that day is the same thing that impresses me about you know, Millwall and, and and most teams that we come up against in the championship isn't that you had a structure to your play. Um, it seemed as though every player in the team knew exactly what their role was. Um, obviously, on the day, I thought the management was good in, in making the change to the shape and the team at half-time to stay out of the game. I've also spoken about a target man, which, which Stoke have liked all season. You know, you had two lads up there in, in Stuart and Sims that day um, who could take the ball, you know, who had a bit of pace and power about them. And then behind, um, you know, you had a player in, in Pritchard, I think, on a day who can pick a pass. So, and then I look at Jack Clark, who you mentioned, you know, as one of your first names on the team sheet. We had him at Stoke. He didn't fit into our into our team at all. You could see he had quality, but we couldn't find a role that you know that worked for him. And if you'd have asked me, would he, you know, would he fit in for us at wing back? I'd have said, Jesus, God, no, no chance. Nowhere near physical enough. So the fact that. You know, you made that work on the day, and I know he's played there you know, a, a decent amount this season. Impressed me, you know. And Danny Barr, obviously, is a player we know well. We deem not good enough, but then you see him in the structure that you've got set up, doing a good job. So I think that's the frustration for Stoke fans more than anything else. And that we have got some good players, but we don't have. No matter what plays you choose, you, you don't have a functional team where you can say they can deal with every challenge. Where Sunderland on that day, and that's the impression I've got generally, do. You know, can answer those questions. Um, but I was interested by the Gelkart move because we were linked with him. And, you know, my instinct was that that's not the type of striker that Stoke need. Because, um, you know, I really do think that we need somebody to just to, to take the pressure off, to take a punt upfield now and again. Um, and I wondered from your perspective if, if that was perhaps one of the reasons for the recent drop off that obviously Gelkart isn't really that type of player. And if that's something that you're suffering from. But um, not seen too much of you recently. I didn't see the commentary game. But um, yeah, my, my, my overall summary of Sunderland is that like many teams in this league, you know how you play and you've got the players suitable for the roles that are being asked to play. Um, and obviously Stuart is, is is the one that you would pick out as having that real star quality and, and probably Clark as well. Um, albeit he didn't do it at Stoke. So that's my kind of view of Sunderland from the outside looking in. I did find it quite interesting. You mentioned Clark and, um, and Danny Bart. They're now arguably both of them being... I mean, I think we did the when we did the uh, mid-season review during the World Cup. I think collectively all the contributors said Danny Bart was probably our player of the season thus far. I don't know whether that'd still be the same, but he'd be there or thereabouts. Jack Clark, statistically, I think he's 16, 17 goal contributions a season, which is phenomenal for a guy who, like you say, played has played wing back at least a quarter of these games, maybe even more. Um, but none of them, well, Jack Clark didn't work at Stoke. You've kind of outlined the reasons for that because he didn't really fit. Danny Bart, on the other hand, obviously, I remember when we got hold of him and there was a few fans that felt, well, that's a bit of a shame that because he played a lot of your games. Looking back, do you think that that was a mistake from Stoke's perspective, getting rid of Danny Bart? Obviously, Jack Clark, you can't really comment on because of no. it just didn't work and that sometimes happens. But Danny Bart seemed a bit more of a, a prominent player for Stoke that came to us for free and has done really, really well. 
Well, I think it was a financial decision, honestly. You know, Stoke had been on the edge of, of FFP um, regulations for a couple of seasons now. He would, would have been a higher earner um, coming from Wolves at a time when we were spending. So I think that's a large part of it. Uh, and the fact that we then went and got Aidan Flint in the summer, a similar type of player, tells you that it's not as if Michael O'Neill at the time was trying to move away from a stopper in the centre of defence. But it's an interesting one because... Bart was pretty well liked to Stoke. And, you know, I think most outsiders would look at him and say, well, there's a Stoke player, you know, gets his head on it, defends, defends his line, um, also threatening the opposition box. So in that respect, he was a strange one to let him go. Um, but then Michael O'Neill was trying to play, and I hate this term, a progressive style of football. And I'm sure you've seen yourself that that's not Daddy Bart. You know, if you're asking him to bring it out of the back or, you know, pick a pass other than, sort of five yards sidewards, he's not that. So we've been caught in between two stools now for a number of years. You mentioned earlier that coming down to the the stadium earlier in the season, you know, it wasn't the Stoke of old. I don't know what Stoke are even now. They're certainly not a big physical team. They're not a difficult team to play against. We've just signed Ben Pearson. Hopefully he's going to have a little bit of impact there. But in no way, you know, are we a niggly team that, that, that stop the game, that can break up attacks successfully? We're certainly not a long ball team because we've got nobody to win ahead of. Um, but it's not as if we're playing fantastically incisive football and you know playing the way that Swansea do. So we're just caught in between these two stools where a Danny Bar, people are thinking, well, he doesn't fit in the way we're playing. But you know, what is that way? Because I certainly don't know. So was it a wrong decision to let him go? I think it was the right decision from a financial point of view. Would he get into our team now? I think he'd have played a lot of games this season. Am I desperately sorry that he's gone? Probably not, but. Yeah, that's Stoke in the nutshell. Who, who, who the hell knows? You summed it up really well with Stoke. That's that's exactly what I got. For me, Stoke always had an identity for years in the in the Premier League. And when I went to Stoke earlier in the season, the identity just wasn't there. I think that's probably the best way to put it. And it doesn't seem like Neil, from the outside looking in, you'll know a lot better, has really brought it back as yet. Um, but obviously, you you know, you're not bottom of the league. You but you you came into this start the podcast saying, you know, inevitably we'll lose. So I'm aware that you're not feeling the most positive, but but where are Stoke sort of strong? Where where could you damage something? Because we're not in the best run of form either at the minute. We've no. not won in three. I think they've got the midfield balance a lot better recently. So Ben Pearson's a wonderful player at this level. Uh, he is a shithouse. He is a niggly little bastard who you, who you don't want to play against and he'll break down attacks and pull your shirt and take one for the team and all of that good stuff that you love to see for your team and hate to play against. So Stoke have liked to play like that for years. Um, the worry is that he's, he's one man. And actually, if you look at the goal we conceded against Millwall, he actually, I felt, shat out a little bit of a tackle on the halfway line. And then because he's done that, Nobody else has done a Ben Pearson and dragged him back and the lads run off the pitch and, and played it in. So <clears throat> these these issues, but in terms of what we do well, he has definitely improved the midfield balance. And then Josh Loran, who we signed from Redden in the summer, not really done it for us at all. He suddenly looks a better player. He's a ball carrier. Um, he's getting forward. He's he's you know, he scored a couple of goals at Swansea. He was unlucky with a couple against Millwall, even. Um, and then in front of him, we're playing a guy called Will Smallbone, who we've got on loan for Southampton. He's keeping Lewis Baker out of the team, who uh, you know is is a good goal scorer, but hasn't done it this season. Smallbone's a pressing midfielder; he puts a lot of energy in, uh, and he's definitely contributed recently to the overall balance of the midfield being better and helping Stoke gain control of games. Um, and then 
by having that bounce, Neil switched from a five at the back or three at the back to a four. And he's gone to a four three three, which all Stoke fans have been wanting to see for a long time because we don't feel like we've got uh, the place to play with wing backs. Um, we feel it's got Tyrese Campbell into his best position out wide. He's maddingly inconsistent, but he's a, a talent. Um, and when he stands a player up and take the you air, know, he can take it past him and he can he can cause problems. Jacob Brown on the other wing is a goal threat. Um, again, far from an all-round player, but he, he is a goal threat and I think he's he's got something to offer. And then it does kind of fall down, if I'm honest, with Dwight Gale through the middle. But the three of them, when he has worked, have have looked like there's a little bit of fluidity there that they can cause teams problems. So just recently, there has been a bit of an improvement in our, in our attacking play um, and certainly defensively. You know, the goals that have been conceded have been poor recently and have been down to mistakes, but we don't look like we're going to concede every time a team attacks us now, which which has been the case in the past. So we're a lot tighter. We are fairly difficult to score against. We just tend to give away an easy one now and again. But if we're on form, um, you know, and keep you out, then we always feel like we can go and get that first goal. And then when we do, it's been shown that we can go and actually put a team to bed. So as I said earlier in the podcast, I'll tell you whether we're going to be good or bad based on who scores first and uh, <laughs> probably won't be far wrong. I was going to say, with the um, before I ask the final the final question, which is the predictions, which I don't know why I bother, I get it wrong every week, but um, <laughs> you weren't that confident coming on. So there's obviously reasons and ways that something can beat Stoke. But what makes you slightly underconfident for this week, if indeed you are? Well, partly because we've, in my opinion, we never seem to, to do much at Sunderland. So uh, that's, that's true, actually. Just a legacy concern that we're going to lose at Sunderland. Um, but we just, I don't know. I mean, no result would surprise me. It would not surprise me in the slightest if we beat you. It really wouldn't, because as you say, you're not playing particularly well at the moment. Um, you maybe haven't got that big focal point up front that might cause us, which, which tends to be the case. Um, so would it surprise me, Stoke? Well, not, not, not in the slightest, but we just, I just can't trust us. We, we, we're so uh, culpable for giving away cheap goals. It's untrue. And I know if that happens, you know, if someone have got anything about them, they'll, they'll sit back and see the game out. So that's my worry, that can we keep switched on for 90 minutes and, and keep you out? If we do, might well win. But I've got no faith in that happening, unfortunately. I'm going to press you for a prediction, but I'll give mine first to embarrass myself first. Um, I said we'd get beat last week and I was right. I was slightly wrong. I have to go confident with this one, but I've, I'm going to be honest, I'm not saying it with a great deal of confidence, weirdly, but I'll take Sunderland 1-0. And I think if there's another story to be told outside of Alex Neal getting beat, uh, it's got to be Jack Clark scoring, hasn't it? Or Danny Bart from a corner, but more likely Jack Clark. So I'll take 1-0 with a Jack Clark, a Jack Clark I winner. But um, yeah. Danny Bart scoring from a corner would would feel, uh, <laughs> feel like he's got some, some sort of tail behind, I have to say. Um, despite everything I've just said, I honestly don't know, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go positive because um, we lost last week, so history tells us we're probably on for a win this week. So I'm gonna go the other way and go for a one nil Stoke win. Um, but if I was putting it, if I was a betting man, I'd go under two and a half goals. I don't think we're gonna get more than a, a one all or a two nil. That would be my hot tip. 
I think that is a good bit, actually. Yeah, yeah, do that. Actually, ignore predictions from both of us and just do the <laughs> under 2.5 goals. I think you're pretty safe for that. Um, of course, gamble responsibly. Um, Mark, before I let you go, uh, you have no idea how many of Planet Sports quizzes have kept me going on away <laughs> days. Um, and I've never really got that many right, to be honest, but they are really good. But obviously, there's loads of good written stuff on there as well. Um, if people want to follow you, obviously, specifically, and also the stuff that you do with Planet Sport and what Planet Sport do, which I actually thoroughly recommend, where can they, where can they find it? Yeah, well, if you want to read a load of Stoke tweets, you can follow me at Holmesy on Twitter, uh, but I wouldn't advise that unless you like a lot of negativity. Um, we've got three football sites at Planet Sports. So we've got at Planet Football, um, at Team Talk and at Football 365. We've got slightly different vibes and obviously I'd strongly recommend you follow them all. Yes, of course. I, I recommend it as well. I genuinely mean that. The quizzes are brilliant. The written stuff, I'm sure, is fantastic too. Thank you, <laughs> uh, Mark, really good catching up officially. Um, thanks so much for taking your time out of the day. And um, absolutely no luck wished on Saturday. I hope you get stuffed. Uh, but good luck for the rest of the season after that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you and ditto. Yeah, absolutely, mate. As expected. Thank you very much. <laughs>